0: She and I are getting ready to celebrate 25 years of marriage at the end of this year and God has blessed me with her Uh, and uh, she's an awesome woman of God. Uh, When I was a single man, I prayed for three simple things. I wanted a godly wife, an intelligent wife, and a beautiful wife and God blessed me beyond all measure. Marriage is on my mind because my oldest daughter, Catherine, is also here today and uh, a couple weeks ago, she got engaged uh, to be married uh, early next year. And with all the things that are going on in our world, I wanted to speak about that. Thank you. Now I was a, I'm a Hispanic American. Uh, I was a church planner for the Hispanic church here in Charlotte. I was born in Cuba, but I was raised in Atlanta, so I'm a Hispanic American with a Southern accent. You got that, y'all? Uh, in atlanta is where i met awara and uh, i'm eternally grateful to god for all that he has done i don't know about you but i get nervous every time i speak and i get nervous about being prepared and sometimes i've even had nightmares about not quite being ready about getting to a place and missing something i remember nightmares of having the coach call on me I was on the basketball team and being called into the game and my shoes weren't tied. Or other times, getting to an assembly and I wasn't wearing the right clothes. There's different things that make us nervous. Not too long ago, my wife was saying, I hope we don't run out of candy for Halloween trick-or-treaters. And running out of food in a special event is a big deal. It makes us nervous. I wanted to start this talk with one of the events that happened. The very first miracle that Jesus did was at a wedding. He was invited with his mother, and they were there with his disciples, and something drastic happened. The wedding ran out of wine early in the marriage wedding, in the feast, and his mother asked him to do something. And Even though he said, it's not my time yet, he went and did something miraculous, he turned water into wine. And if you guys know that story from John 2, you know that uh, the master of the ceremony was given the water that had turned into wine, and he went to the bridegroom and said, most people serve the good wine at the beginning and then the bad wine, but you left the best for the end. Wow. That's our Christ pulling someone out of shame And putting them in a situation where it was appreciated that the best had come at the end. Jesus honored that marriage, honored that wedding, because I think it's an important part of what God is doing. Now, let's pray for one minute, and then we're going to get into our text. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you on this morning that you allowed us to be here today. Open our minds to your word. Uh, Open... Uh, this week, Vessels, as a speaker, that you would uh, bring through your spirit the power to understand your word and to apply it into our lives. We thank you for the love that you have for us, the love that you sent your son to call us into that right relationship with you. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. This text in Ephesians, uh, I think, is an important text. and. I think it's important for us to understand something of what God was planning to do when he created this world. In this text, we see that God is talking through the Apostle Paul about the way husbands and wives ought to behave with one another and what kind of relationship they should have. I'm not talking today about the specifics of each marriage and the roles that we play in the marriage, but I'm talking about something in those lines that we read just a few minutes ago that I think are profound importance. We see in those uh, few words of Paul uh, to the people of Ephesians where he's talking about that the husbands ought to love the wives. And he's telling us something about how that's similar to the way that Christ loves his church. And then he's talking about the man should leave his father and mother and be joined to to the woman and they should become one. And that He is referring to this profound mystery that he's referring to Christ and his church. I think that's an important verse, and that's where I want to center today, because as marriage and weddings are much on my mind these days, I started to think about where our world is today. If you see the title of the message, it says, the end of marriage. You're likely to think that I'm going to talk about the chaos that's going on with our institutions these days. But what I really want to talk about today is what God does with marriage, what God's intentions were from the very beginning to do with marriage. I think it best to look at what it says here to understand that when Paul is giving instructions to this husband and wife and how they ought to relate to each other, he references back to something much greater than one particular marriage. He's talking about that. The profound mystery is that it's talking about church and his Christ, the church and his bride, church, the church and Christ. Now here is an interesting thing. Paul makes a reference to the way that the two ought to become one. And he talks about how the husband, Christ, comes to sanctify his bride, the church. And there's a reference back to the statements at the very beginning. I want you for a few minutes to turn back and what I aim to do today is to give us a broad overview of what God has been trying to do and get us to understand about marriage from the beginning in Genesis all the way to the end in Revelation. Now, as I've grown in my marriage, I've started to realize certain things about God's plan to redeem us and to call the people out from this world. And I started to realize that it's a much bigger picture than I had ever imagined, I didn't realize that God started the whole story of creation with a wedding. Now, if you read the first couple chapters of Genesis, you see the creation days, you see the universe come into existence, you see all that God does, and then on that sixth day, we finally get to the creation of mankind. We get to Adam, and most of the time, As a Bible student, we talk about creation and all that God did in the universe, how magnificent it was. But I started to view this a different way. I started to view this as God setting the stage for his ultimate creation, a creature that would be in his image and likeness. Everything that was done to prepare this universe was prepared as the setting, as the stage for Adam to be there. But not only Adam. Because we know that after God had declared everything so good for all the creation days, he said, there's one thing that's not good, not good for the man to be alone. So he created this ultimate special creature, unlike any other that he had created, Eve. To me, it's an incredible sign of the importance that God gives marriage when we see that her creation is different than any other creature that God had made up to them, even different than Adam's. She was brought about in a special way. You know the story, right? Genesis 2 God puts Adam to sleep, opens up his side, takes out a rib, and fashions a woman for him, fit for him, made perfectly to be his counterpart. And brings her to him. And presents her to him. Lots of times we didn't think wedding. But there it is. A father bringing a bride to the man. To present her as this beautiful, perfectly made fit for that man's counterpart. The one that fit him. So that he could say, now at last. This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And he names her with a name very similar to his own. It's a beautiful thing. God put him to sleep, opened up his side, took something from him and made her and then brought her to him. Perfectly fit together. All that God did in creation, all that God did in making this universe and putting that special garden and bringing the man to rule over the animals and name them, God did to show what marriage was supposed to be about. Why? Because Ephesians tells us that the whole idea was about Christ and his church. The whole story of the Bible in our humanity, in our universe, starts with a wedding of two people. And if you know the Bible, you know that at the very end of the book, The whole Bible ends with another wedding, beginning and ending. So marriage is a big deal to God. It's not just something that he needed to do for procreation. It's not something that he needed to do so we guys wouldn't be lonely without our wives. Well, loneliness is a big deal, but that's not the reason for marriage. Here we see that God has a much bigger plan, and I think it's important for us to think about the beginning, the ending, and in the middle, what was happening. We see in these phrases that Paul has spoken to us in Ephesians, that he is talking to these people and explaining to them what is going on in marriage, and he talks about that Christ and his church. That marriage is about them. That they're at the center of God's plan for this world. I think that's true because no other relationship in this world can come close to the type of relationship that God wants ultimately to experience with you and me. It's not just a friendship. It's not a close partnership. It's not just a contract or a covenant. It's an intimate relationship that could only be described in terms of marriage. Marriage was from the beginning with Adam and Eve a one flesh union. The two of them came together, they fit together perfectly, so that when Adam saw her, he proclaimed that first poem in the Bible. The first human to human communication was a poetic utterance. And Adam was a little bit romantic. <laughs> He was overwhelmed with the sight of this woman and proclaimed those things out loud. But they were to meet and see each other eye to eye, face to face, body to body, flesh to flesh, fit perfectly together, naked and unashamed. It's a beautiful thing. And I think they both gloried in each other's presence and enjoyed God and what he had done for them. They were fit together. And they were fulfilling what God had said in the earlier mandate. To multiply and fill the earth and rule over it. To fill this world that he had made for us. Marriage is what God says it is. It is the coming together in one flesh of these two people for perfect unity. So that we could fulfill God's glory. Fulfilling this world and subduing all the creatures that God had made for us. So we see that Paul is saying men and women ought to behave this way, ought to honor each other, ought to mutually submit to each other and love each other. And he gives the reference of Christ being the one who loved us, who came into this world to do something, not just to save us from our sins, but in this passage we see it very perfectly spelled out, to present, to himself a perfect bride. Did you hear that? God's on a mission, a mission to acquire for his son the perfect woman, <laughs> better than any other bride that's ever been, a woman so fit that she deserves to be married to the Son of God, the perfect, spotless, holy Son of God. Well, how can that be? Because when I know myself and you know yourself, we are so far from perfect and spotless, right? We are so far from being fit to be in that kind of close union with God. But God has made a way. God has made a way of that happening and that we see that at the end, there will be this perfect union. Paul tells us in here that he paid a price He tells us in these words that we read, we heard from Ephesians that he came and paid the price and bought her to cleanse her, to make her perfect. And we see in there that his sacrifice is what created her ability to become that perfect bride. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What I have to do every day in my everyday life is to love my wife. Now, I'm not very good at that sometimes. I like to think that I'm the hero, the guy who's protecting her and winning her over, and that I'm very romantic and would do anything in this world to serve my wife. And I think of myself sometimes that way. And I think I will fight anybody, do anything I can to protect her and to love her. And then she says, hey, can you take out the garbage? And I'm going like, wait for this next commercial. And we're so bad at really, really loving our wives well. Christ was not like that. He served every one of his disciples, every one of the men and women that were around him. He served them with utter love, complete love and abandonment of who he was in his own desires and wishes. We see that portrayed over and over again in that he would not let anything stand in the way of perfecting the ones that he's calling to himself. He wouldn't let embarrassment or anything else, he confronted Peter, he confronted his disciples and challenged them to become more. And it's a really beautiful thing. There's an old story that came out of Reader's Digest many years ago. It was called A Seven Cow Wife. It's a story about some people in the South Pacific Islands who had a particular tradition. They paid a, a bride price when a man wanted to marry a young lady. He had to go to the dad and pay a price to be married to her. There's this young man called Johnny who was very entrepreneurial. He was rich. He was a very good worker. He was handsome. He had a lot of things going for him. And when he decided that he wanted a bride, he went looking for this perfect wife for himself. He went over to the next island over and started looking around. And he settled on this one woman, a woman that nobody thought was that good looking or that spectacular. And everyone was surprised that he would pick her. There were other beautiful, outstanding women that had a lot going for them, but he wanted this particular woman. He went to her dad and spoke to him and to the dad's amazement, he offered seven cows for this young lady. Now you gotta understand that in that particular place, usually one or two cows were sufficient to get a wife. And on rare occasion, seven, uh, three cows might've been paid for an exceptional woman but he offered the dad immediately seven cows to have that woman as his bride. The dad was overwhelmed, sure, I'll take seven cows for her. And they, he, took, he let her go and they got married and they went back to his island. So there was a joke that went around for many years in that island about how this guy that was so smart and so entrepreneurial and so on top of it kind of really messed up when it came to picking his wife. But somebody was curious. They said a missionary came to that island and wanted to find out what happened. So he went and visited the island where Johnny lived and went into his home. And there he was served by this incredibly beautiful and articulate lady that served them. And he, she finally left the room. And the missionary asked Johnny, well, where is that wife that people talked about? And he goes, it's this lady that was here. He goes, no, 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 I mean your first wife, the one that everybody said wasn't so beautiful and so articulate. And he says, I only have one wife. That's her. And he said, I I can't understand it. They said that she wasn't so beautiful and she was shy and she wasn't articulate. And he said, no, that's her. And the man began to understand that the price that he had paid for that young lady transformed her life because she no longer thought of herself as an unworthy woman who didn't deserve to be married at a high price you know something god owns the cattle on a thousand hills doesn't he he owns it all but when it came to getting a wife for his son he didn't pay a thousand hills worth of cattle he paid one spotless lamb's worth. You've got to understand that there's no higher price in the whole universe than what God paid for us who believe in him. What does that make us? That one day we will go through the purifying effects of this earth and we will be good enough to marry the son of God if that doesn't begin to transform the way we look at our trials day to day and our shortcomings and the hard things that happen in our lives and see them as little steps in becoming more pure and worthy of the Son of God, the holy, pure, perfect Lamb of God, it's an amazing story. Johnny did good to offer seven cows for his wife, and it transformed the view of herself. But guess what, folks? The bride of Christ, you and I who believe in him, it's the ultimate price. There is no higher price that anyone could have paid. That's what it took to purify you and me. You can't say you didn't do all that you could do for me. We will never be able to say that to Christ. He paid it all. He left it all on the cross. Now, there's parallels that I think we should miss in this story because if God was doing that for us, he gave us clues. When Adam was in the garden, the way he got his wife was through cutting of the flesh on his side so that Eve could be brought to him. And on the cross, when Christ was dying, he said, it is finished. I paid the price. And then he died. And what was the sign of his death? That he was really, really dead. That someone speared his side and punctured his heart. And blood and water came out. A wound on his side was the sign of his death for the perfect price. The only price that could have been paid for us. There's no other way of paying to redeem our lives. He set us free by the only price that could have been paid. Do you realize that when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, sweating, blood coming through his pores because it was so intense, what was he asking God? Is there any other way? Is there any other payment that can be made to purchase a bride for me. You know that God said no to Jesus three times. When we hear no from God, we think life's not fair. I wanted it my way. I wanted it the easy way. I wanted it the way that doesn't hurt. Uh, my wife and I have had a couple of rough years. <laughs> the last couple of years, we've had a lot of loss in our lives. And sometimes we wonder, do you really love us? Can't you make it a little easier on us? And I think it's because God says, no, this is what it takes to purify you. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says that we're saved by grace and not by works. None of our works count for our salvation. We're not getting into heaven. We're not part of the bride because we've done something good. We're part of the bride because he did everything good. But Ephesians 2.10 says that we are predestined for the good works that God made for us. We're not only predestined for heaven and predestined for God. There are works that God put in our path that are predestined for us to accomplish. And I believe that in that accomplishing of those good works, we are being sanctified and made pure. Revelation tells us that the end of the story is a celestial wedding, a wedding of his son. And one of the things that it says is that that bride is going to be dressed in fine linen. You know what the linen is? The righteous acts of the saints. What you and I do in the day-to-day life, what you and I do every time we share the gospel, every time we help a hurting person, every time we extend a loving hand to a needy person, every time we go somewhere, every time we greet a neighbor and even give a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus, we are doing some of those works that God ordained. Some of them are trials. Some of them are obstacles. Some of them are difficult, but they've all been predestined by God for our good. That changes my view of suffering. There's no way you and I could be part of God's kingdom, adopted into his family, without the suffering that Christ went through. But, you know, I'm a big baby sometimes, and I'm a complainer. And every time that something's a little hard, I think, God, what are you doing? Make it easy on me. I'm your child. And he's saying, the way to perfection is hard. Jesus heard In his mind, the words, no, three times. There's no other way. There's no other way except you be nailed on that cross and die. But for the joy set before him, he endured that. Because he knew there was something coming after that was so glorious. That one day, you and I, if we're believers, can be part of that perfect mate for him. Wow. You talk about? The romance story of all romance stories, that's it. That's the perfect love story. That at the beginning there was a wedding. At the end there is going to be a wedding. And in the middle is Christ paying the price for his bride. Wow. I am overwhelmed with emotion every time I think about what it cost him to bring me and you into his kingdom. Christ is the only one that has a right to redefine family and define marriage. He's the one that started it in the garden. He's the one that's gonna end it at the consummation of all things. He will end it and he's the one that can define it. When he was in this world, he spoke and talked and taught and he went around and people at one occasion said, hey, your mom and brothers and sisters are outside, they wanna talk to you. And he was busy teaching the scriptures. And he said a very interesting thing. He said, my mother and brothers and sisters are those who hear my words and do them. He redefined family in a way that sometimes we don't understand. Because we think bloodlines and races and nations and languages and tongues. And we sometimes think that it's okay to keep those things separate. And we have our own definition of marriage our own definition of what family means. Jesus said, that's not it. It's whom I've called to myself. It's people of different places, different tongues. I was born in a Caribbean island, ended up marrying an American woman that was born in Nigeria, Africa. God's got a sense of humor. I mean, how does he put people like that together? And then we have two biological daughters and we have two adopted sons from Peru. We're a mixed up family. We, we come from all over the place, but we got one thing in common. Christ is at the center of our lives. He's redeemed each one of us, and he's formed us into a new kind of family. My daughter Catherine is here today, and a few weeks ago she got engaged. And she knows that in the next couple weeks, Advent starts. Advent is the waiting, the preparing for Christmas. And we are in a waiting time in this world today. We are betrothed, engaged to God who's going to come and save us, but we're not there yet. We're not ready yet. And I think what we need to remember is that every trial, every opportunity, everything that comes our way is a test. It's up. Part of God's plan designed for us to become more like him. The waiting shapes us. The waiting is what helps us to become who we're supposed to be. We see it in different ways. My wife was telling me the other day, what we wait for shapes us. There's a lot of things we wait for. And there's some things that we get disappointed and don't get at the right time, according to us. But it's God's timing. And we see that in different ways. Now, I want to end this message with the idea of us waiting for Him. We are waiting for that perfect day where everything would come together. When Christ comes to do the last part of His saving us. You know, like I said a few minutes ago, sometimes I'd like to think that I would do anything for my wife. And think of myself as a hero, as a conqueror ready to protect her and my family. But I know I fail. But there's one that never failed. Adam failed his wife. I've failed my wife. We've all failed in some way. But there's one that didn't fail. There's one that kept the faith completely and was utterly, sacrificially loving every day of his life. And yet there's something that's left to do. The same way that God made this earth and made it a perfect place for Adam and Eve to start with and made that paradise, God is going to finish the job. Do you know that there's one more time where Christ says it is finished? Do you know that at the end, at the consummation of the age, when the wedding feast happens, he's going to say that again because it's going to be right after he defeats the dragon right after he finishes conquering and defeating and removing everything that's of sin and evil. He'll have wiped out every trace of evil and bad that there is in this world so that he and his bride can get married in a perfect universe. I'm amazed at the descriptions and revelation of the bride, the new Jerusalem. God is saying, I'm making everything new and he has prepared the place for us to live in, and he's prepared us for the place we are to live in. And it's a beautiful thing how they come together. And again, we see that final wedding feast, that final wedding time where we get united with God. There's a commercial that ran a few years ago. It's talking about a wedding, and it's talking about the dresses and how we dress for these weddings and these special occasions. And it's talking about a groom who is outfitted with his right clothing for the wedding. And at the moment that the bride comes into the back of the auditorium, the music plays, everybody stands up and turns around and faces her and she's adorable. She's fantastic. She's got her wedding dress on and she is the focus of all attention on the bride. And the groom and the pastors, I've been a pastor at weddings before, we're standing there like, it's all back there, <laughs> you know? No one's paying attention to us. But you know what? That's okay. Because while everybody is looking at that bride coming down the aisle with her dad, her eyes are focused on the groom. That's the picture we get in Revelation. It says that the saints will see him face to face. And they will shine with his glory because... We are reflections in the image of God. It's a marvelous thing. It comes full circle from the paradise lost to the paradise regained. God is a creator. Everything comes from him. God is a sustainer. Everything comes through him. And God, in the end, will have everything come back to him. And we see that in Christ. He came to create a bride for himself, He did it through His flesh that paid the price for that bride. And He's going to present her to Himself perfect and spotless and ready to come together with Him. Paradise is forever. This paradise can't even compare to the original paradise. It's so much better. And we see that in those last few verses of Revelation We see that he has redefined family for us so that family can include people of different races and different nationalities and different tongues. We come together reconciled because we're all adopted into this one family to become worthy of being the bride of Christ. Now, you may not know Christ. You may not know what it's like to have someone love you so much that they gave it all for you. That's who loves us. He's our lover. He loved you and me so much that he paid the ultimate price to cleanse you and to make you part of this family. If you don't know him today, I pray that by the spirit, you would open your heart up to him and believe in him. There is a party at the end of the world. And that's the best and only ultimate party. You're invited to it And the scripture says in Revelation, blessed are those that receive that invitation and can be part of that. I close with this idea. We will be remade in the image of Christ when we see him face to face. And we will shine with the glory of the most glorious thing in the whole universe. What is the end of marriage? The end of marriage is Christ's glory with his wife. It's why He redeemed us. It's why the cross happened. And it's why we have this incredible motivation to go through the sufferings that we do each day. My prayer for you is that as we get ready to take and partake in this supper, we will remember that the way that God saved us and made us part of His bride is through the flesh. Christ's broken body. Is what paid the price for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we-